Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, you are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at the time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Amen. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Lord, we come before you right now. And Lord, what a portion of scripture you have written. Lord, we believe that every word is breathed by you, that every word is pure, that every word is for our being built up and our construction in you, God, for our edification. Lord, would you soften our hearts? God, would you plant the seed of your word within us tonight? And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've heard stories. I was never in the Marine Corps. Not quite my thing. Sorry. I I wish. No, I don't know. I'm so, so thankful for the ones who are really called to that because, yeah, I wish. But I've heard stories that of boot camp where they load your plate with food and then they give you three minutes to eat it all. Is that true? Is anybody in here like, yes? Okay. She says that's true. So right now, I kind of feel like our plate is loaded with this amazing chapter, and we've got like three minutes to eat it all up. So I'm trusting you group leaders to really dig into this, because it is impossible to capture every nugget that is in this chapter. I mean, this chapter is amazing. And I was having such a hard time. I mean, where do you go? What could you even say that would even do this chapter justice? How could you even start? What verses do you pick? And even worse, what verses do you not pick? It's awful. And I kept thinking about Paul's life. And I kept thinking, is this what I would be writing from prison? Because I'm having a hard time picturing that. I think I would be like, get me out. And somebody call Obama and get me out of this prison. And Paul... Paul, he didn't do that. He wrote this from prison. From prison and not our prisons. He wrote it from a dark, dirty dungeon. And he wrote it in chains. 
And this is what he said. And my retreat this weekend was on what Paul also said, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. And I was starting to think about him, and I just thought, what about him made him have so much impact on the church? What about him enabled him to have so much impact on our lives? And I know it's grace. I know that that's what he would say if he were asked today. But I was just wondering, what about Paul was it that enabled God to use him so mightily? Maybe it was that he sat in a prison and he chose joy. Maybe it was that he sat in a shipwreck and he chose trust. Maybe it was the fact that in beatings, in imprisonments, in um, being whipped, he chose to trust God and his character. What took this man who once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and set him in a prison full of joy and the Holy Spirit? It was seeing Jesus. It was seeing our Jesus. Paul's sight changed his life forever. What started with scales ended with a vision of Jesus, and it changed his life. Oh, we need to see Jesus. I mean, think about verses 4 through 8. Not, not do we know it, but have we thought about it? Do we long for him, ache for him, desire for him to have all of us and desire for us to have all of him because of what we read in this chapter. I mean, listen to this, starting in verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up together, and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, I'm all for scripture memory. I hope you have these verses memorized. I want to always have them memorized and flowing in me. But when we have them memorized, when we've read them so much, when we know them, when we say them, do we still get amazed by them? I mean, does that amaze you? Did you hear what he just said? I mean, I know we know it. I know we know we've been saved by grace through faith that none of ourselves but it's gift God. I know we know that. But does it knock us off our chairs in our heart? In the very core of who we are, are we astounded that he would choose to save us? I mean, by grace, through faith, not of me, it's just a gift. I pray that these things would amaze me every day. Seeing this changed Paul's life, and seeing this should change ours as well. Paul longed to know Jesus. With every fiber of his being, he wanted to know his Savior. He wanted to know his God. He gave up all to pursue this Jesus who called him his workmanship, created him 
in Christ for good works and prepared beforehand to walk in. Paul had seen this Jesus and he gave every moment of his life to him because of that. Absolute surrender, absolute trust in this God who brought him near though he had been far off. Romans 1.16 says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Paul wanted to know this power. He wanted to know Jesus. He wanted to know the power of the resurrection. He wanted to know the fellowship of the sufferings. Paul wanted righteousness that came through God by faith. Paul wasn't looking for a casual, quiet relationship with God. Paul wanted a life-altering experience of knowing Jesus. Paul had experienced grace, and he was never the same again. Grace, amazing grace, how sweet the sound to save a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. We who this chapter says were aliens with no hope, without God in the world. We who are reconciled for no reason of ourselves, just the pure, beautiful, costly gift of Jesus. We who were afar off, brought near, for no reason that I can figure out. We who have access, so we were strangers, so we were foreigners, but we're now called citizens and saints, our home, our identity, where we belong. We who have had the middle wall of our sin and separation broken down by the beautiful grace and mercy of God and the precious blood of Jesus, we who deserve to sit in nothing else but a trash pile, have been raised up to be seated in the heavenly places of Christ. Have you thought about that today? Have you thought about in whatever state you woke up, whatever time you woke up, whether you woke up on time, whether you woke up late, whether you had to go to work, whether you got to stay home, whether your kids were a wreck, whether your house is a mess, have you thought about today that at any moment we'll be seated in the heavenly places together with Christ? That should keep us going. That brings joy in a prison. We don't deserve this. But God, but God, verse four, but God, is there any more beautiful clump of words that we could read in the word of God? Christy Duff, dead in trespasses and sins, conducting herself in the lust of her flesh, fulfilling the desires of her flesh and mind by nature, a child of wrath, just like all of you, just like me, but God rich in mercy, his great love, saved me by grace. I love the definition that Debbie said a few weeks ago on grace. It's from the Blue Letter Bible, and it says grace, the merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence upon our souls. The merciful kindness by which God exerts his holy influence Upon our souls. Grace is mentioned 38 times in the Old Testament. People who found grace in the sight of God and it shaped their lives, changed their walks, and determined them to obey and follow because of the grace that they had found. Ezra said that grace was shown from God and left a remnant to escape so that God could enlighten their eyes and give a measure of revival. 
Grace was intended to revive us. Grace was intended to lighten our eyes. Solomon declares that receiving and hearing the instruction of your father and mother will be an ornament of grace about your head. He also declares that remembering the law and the commands will be life to your soul and grace to your neck. Solomon also says that God gives grace to the humble. Zechariah says that God will pour out upon his people the spirit of grace and supplication so that they will look upon the Messiah whom they have crucified. Grace is mentioned 128 times in the New Testament. John tells us that Jesus had upon him the glory of the Father, which was his grace and truth. And we receive the fullness of Jesus, which is grace for grace. We received grace and truth through Jesus. Luke tells us in the book of Acts that great grace was on the disciples, and they had great power to witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Barnabas saw the grace of God upon the church of Antioch, and it made him glad and encouraged him to continue with purpose of heart. Grace encourages us to continue with a purpose of heart. The disciples spoke boldly in the Lord, and God bore witness of the words of his grace and allowed signs and wonders to be done by them. Paul and Barnabas were commended to the grace of God for the work of God. We receive grace for the obedience to the faith and the nations. The abundance of grace was given with the gift of righteousness to reign in our lives through Jesus. What next, Paul says, should we sin because we're, under, we're not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. He says because we've been given grace for obedience, and obedience leads to righteousness. The grace of God enables us to use our gifts. So because of grace, prophesy. Because of grace, minister. Because of grace, teach, exhort, give, lead, show mercy. Because of grace, do these things. Because of grace, Paul wrote boldly and became a minister so that the offering of the Gentiles could be acceptable and sanctified. The grace of God is with us. And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Praise God. Grace was given so that we could be enriched by everything in Jesus, in all utterance and in all knowledge, so that we would come short in no gift and would be eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ and be blameless in that day. According to grace, we are to be wise master builders, lay foundations, and take heed how we build. The grace of God makes us what we are And so that grace of God is not in vain. And 1 Corinthians says his grace causes us to labor more abundantly than all others. Paul conducted himself in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God. We are encouraged to finish in grace that we might abound in everything, in faith, speech, knowledge, diligence, and in love. We are to abound in that grace. God is able to make all grace abound to us. So that we will have all sufficiency for all things and an abundance of grace for every good work. The indescribable gift of God within us should cause those around us to long for what we have, Second Corinthians tells us. His grace remains sufficient in us that we might have strength and trials and weaknesses with his power upon us. We're warned not to turn away from the real biblical grace of Christ, to turn to a different gospel, which isn't a different one but just a slightly perverted version of the actual biblical definition of grace. Grace calls us, separates us, reveals Jesus in us so that we can preach him. 
The gift of grace makes us ministers and gives us the effective working of the power of God. Grace causes us to preach forth of the unsearchable riches of Christ and make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery and is now revealed. Grace was given for the gift of Christ, which that he made some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, so that we could equip saints for the work of the ministry. Our words are to impart grace. They're not to be corrupt or angry or bitter or clamorous or evil or full of malice. Our words are to impart grace. They're to be tenderhearted, forgiving, not grieving the Holy Spirit, but being good for necessary edification. The grace of God in truth brings forth fruit, Colossians tells us. We sing in grace through the word of Christ. According to his grace, we're counted worthy of this calling to fulfill the good pleasure of this goodness, that the work of faith with power of Jesus might be glorified in us. The good hope by grace is supposed to comfort our heart and establish us in every good word and work. We're to be strong in the grace from Christ so that we can teach and endure hardship and be good soldiers not entangled with the affairs of this life and please him who enlisted us as soldiers, Second Timothy tells us. For it's the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, and the grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Then Titus said, speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, and let no one despise you. We're justified by his grace. We're heirs according to his hope. We're supposed to pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. We're to look forward to heaven, be diligent to be found in him by peace, without spot, blameless, but whereless we fall from our own steadfastness, but rather grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're to contend earnestly for faith, guard against those who would turn the grace of our God into a license to sin. Those are just a few verses of grace. And if you want those, I have them like all written down and I'd be happy to email them to you. Has all the biblical references. Not one place in our Bible do you find that grace says, go ahead and sin, you're forgiven. That grace says, stay where you are. It's all good. You can do it. You've got grace. I mean, my kids sometimes are arguing with each other. Somebody will get mad and I hear them say, grace, what? That's not grace. That's forgiveness. That's mercy. This is God's grace of the Bible. Grace is not a passive forgiveness. Grace is an energizing ability that God has given us. Grace is God exerting his holy influence upon my life. Because I'm a wretch. I'm a sinner. Do we remember that John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, was a slave trader? And that song was not to say, so Amazing Grace, I'm going to continue on in my slave trading because I'm forgiven. No, Amazing Grace that saved a wretch like me takes us and makes us what we could never be on our own. I could never be any of these things. 
I could never put off evil speaking. I could never put bitterness out of my life. I could never stop gossiping and slandering. I could never grow in his knowledge by myself. Grace takes us and makes us like Jesus. It takes us and it makes us what we couldn't be without him. Grace doesn't say, don't tell him to do anything. Grace says, you can do everything. Grace enables us to do everything. We've been given freedom by this grace, but not freedom to do anything. We've been given freedom to do the right thing. We are not bound in our sins any longer. Who were you? What was your identity? What did God save you from? What did he save you from 20 years ago? What did he save you from today? That's not your identity. That's not who you are. Grace is not a name badge that says, I know I gossip, but it's all good because I'm loved by God. Grace is a name badge that goes over your mouth to make you not a gossiper any longer. Grace changes who we are. Grace lifts us up out of the ashes that were our sin and enables us to leap on the mountains and walk in the high places where we do not belong. Grace takes us and it sets us up in his heavenly places. I don't belong in heavenly places. Jason and I were um, traveling and, you know, he's always gone. And so he gets bumped up to first class and I got bumped up to first class with him. And we turned around and Mike Tyson was right behind us. You know, and I'm already feeling like I feel entirely too ghetto to like be in first class. You know, I'm like, yeah, I want to tell everybody who's walking past. I'm not, I'm not, I don't belong here. You know, just, it's okay. You know, because I always like look at people like, I wonder what they do. You know, I don't know. My critical spirit. And, and I was just sitting there and I was thinking, I don't belong here. And then I start hearing Mike Tyson talk and I'm like, ooh, he doesn't belong here either. Like... And I, I texted a couple of my friends, and I said, oh, you know, just sitting in first class with Mike Tyson. And um, Bridget Salas texted me back, and she said, watch your ears. And I said, I know. I've already heard him say a couple cuss words. And she was like, no, Christy, because he bites ears. I'm like, oh, right, right. But, you know, that entire time, I just felt like, I don't belong here. Like, I don't, I don't like expensive clothes. Like, I ruin things. I'm, I'm way too messy to like have nice things so that's what grace does in our lives grace is not you sitting in first class because you deserve it or because you always get it grace is like somebody randomly picked your name and said you want to go up here for free that's what grace is grace takes us and places us where we don't belong and where we could never be on our own where we should be strangers where we should be aliens where we should be foreigners, and says, I'm going to make you like one who fits in heaven. I'm going to take you, and I'm going to teach you etiquette. I'm going to teach you how to talk. I'm going to teach you how to walk. Grace changes us. Grace is not a quieting calm that's been put over us to subdue us so that we say nothing about the things that are wrong in this world and in this church. Grace is a ninja foot that enables us to kick down the prison walls that Satan wants to keep us in. Grace is an iron cutter that cuts the chains that Satan would love to keep us bound with. Grace is an identity changer 
that takes you from who you were and makes us like Jesus. Grace makes us who we could never be, do what we could never do, say what we could never say, and forgive us time and time again when we forget that. When we forget that we have that power. And you think about the Bible, everybody who ever met Jesus was changed forever. One way or the other. Some of them went crazy. Some of them were changed forever. I don't know about you, but a lot of times I kind of feel like that demon-possessed man in the tombs. (laughs) You know, I'm like roaring around the cave of my house like nobody can find me and I'm just cranky monster mommy. God's grace can clothe me and sit me where I'm right-minded and saying words and just wanting to follow God. Who are you without Jesus? Some in this Christian culture would say, you're fine. You've got grace. Stay. Relax. Don't be legalistic. Don't try so hard. Grace says, I'm coming inside you and I've created you for good works. And I give you the power to walk in them. Everybody who met Jesus was changed forever. Because grace is a changing, transforming power in our lives to live righteously, to do righteously, and to save others. Look how grace in pursuing the one thing of knowing Jesus changed Paul's life. How could it not? How could knowing Jesus not change every crevice of our lives? Jesus, who was the word of God made flesh. Jesus, who was baptized by the Holy Spirit and fire, the winnowing fan in his hand, who came with the purpose to thoroughly clean out his threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, and burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire that his church might serve him. Jesus, who called his disciples by name and changed their lives completely forever. Jesus, who taught us to be poor in spirit, to mourn our sin, to be meek, to hunger, to thirst for his righteousness, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be peacemakers, to be joyful in persecution, to be salt and not lose our flavor, to be the light of the world, not hidden, but to let it shine so that others could glorify God. Now, could we be him? Could we be Jesus? Can we walk here perfectly? No. Not a chance. We can never be perfect like Jesus. We can never do the things that he did. But Ephesians tells us that we're in him now. And he's in us. I can never be him, but he's in me. We are in Christ. The point of Ephesians, the like crux of the entire book, In Christ, I don't remember how many times Debbie said it's in here, but I wish I did right now because that'd be really good to say. But it's a lot of times. In Christ, full access, nothing stopping us except our own desire and our own lack of will. This should rock us. This should change us. This is what we should wake up every day begging God to help us to remember that the grace of God upon us and Jesus within us can change our lives. No wonder Paul could sit in a prison and write about joy. No wonder Paul's entire life could be spent on loving others and serving God. He had the grace of God upon him. He had work set before him. 
He had been a slave, a foreigner, and he was brought near by the blood of Jesus. Do we realize what that is? Do we realize what it is to be brought near? Every time I walk into a room like this, I feel scared. Do you feel scared? I still get terrified. Sweet Debbie Crackiello. It was her birthday on Thursday. Did you guys know that? And Tracy's. And, um, and happy birthday, girls. And, and as we were praying, she said, I don't even know. She still gets scared. And I'm like thinking, I'm like I'm shaking while we're praying. I'm terrified. I get scared just to walk into a room of Bible study. I'm so proud of you girls. I always say that God made me a pastor's wife because I don't know that I would ever be brave enough to come to anything if I wasn't. I mean, this can be terrifying. But here's the deal. Is maybe you feel alone in here. Maybe you feel alone at home. Maybe you feel alone in your marriage. You've been brought near by God. Brought near. Like remember when Moses, when he said, God, can you just show me your glory? And God said, here's a place by me, by a rock. On a rock, I'm going to cover you with my hand. And I just keep praying. Every time I feel lonely, every time I feel afraid, God, would you set me on the rock? Because their rock's not like our rock. There is no rock like our rock. Would you set me on the rock and cover me with your hand and remind me that I've been brought near. I'm allowed in his presence that I should never be allowed in. I'm allowed there. I'm brought near by his grace. Um, couple, well, actually it was at Chuck's funeral, Pastor Chuck's funeral, so almost a year ago. And our friends were out and they were doing music and nobody was allowed backstage. And, and um, we were, though, because we had been brought by this friend. And so he came to the front and he got us and he said, it's okay to the giant, giant, giant two guys who were like standing in front of this like line where you can't go, you know. And I was um, Sandy. I saw Sandy Wickham. And so her and I were talking. And all of a sudden, before I knew it, like my husband and our friends had just disappeared. They were just gone. And so I thought, okay, here we go. So I just walked up to the man and I said, um, my husband's back there and I just need to get back there. And he goes, not a chance. <laughs> I mean, so big. Like, this doesn't even do it justice. Like, I mean, like, like, not a chance. You know, like, do you want to wrestle for it? Or I don't know. I was expecting to, like, turn around and, like, see the little diapers, you know, on the back. Like, oh, like, we're at Magic Mountain and we're putting on costumes and we're about to go for it right now. And, and I just said, but, but he's back there, and I tried texting my friend, and no answer. Tried calling Jason, no answer. And they just thought I had followed, because I should have, but I'm really bad at following. So, um, so I, I just I stood there, because I didn't know what to do, and he's like, ma'am, you need to move on. You need to move on. And I was like, to where? Where do you want, like, my husband's back there? We're in Orange County. Like, he has a car key. Do you want me to go sit in the car? What? Where do you want me to go? And finally, they realized I was gone and came back to rescue me with, like, a, you know, lecture, like, all the way back to the airport of stay close. And, and I just, you know, sometimes I just look at Jesus. Or I just look at other Christians. And I see my life. And I think, surely I should be on the other side of the giant guy. Like, surely I don't belong back here. Surely there should be somebody being like, everybody else, come on in, but not you. you you got to stay out here with, like, everybody who's leaving. you you gotta, you got to go. Do we realize what it is 
that we've been brought nearer to the holy, perfect, beautiful God. And at the retreat that I did, there was the most adorable little older lady, and she had been a missionary in Africa for like 20 years, and they were doing a little testimony time yesterday, and she got up and she said, um, her husband had passed away, and, and she said, you know, I was just so lonely, and I just sat at the beach, and I told God, I'm so lonely. And he said, do you love to be with your kids? And, and she said, I do. And he said, so do I. And once you realize who I am and the fact that I want to be near you, you'll never be lonely again. And none of this is in my notes, and I wasn't even going to be talking about brought near. So some of you in this room, you need to hear that tonight. You need to hear that you're not alone because Satan would love nothing more than to isolate us. Satan would love nothing more than to tell you, you're not like everybody else in this room. You probably shouldn't come back again. Satan would love nothing more than to tell you, your husband has no idea what you're going through. He doesn't care. He doesn't understand. So you should probably just leave. Satan would love nothing more than to tell you that you don't need your best friends anymore, that you don't need your church, because they probably don't love you anyway. Satan would love nothing more than to whisper into your ear like he does to me all the time, Aren't you the only one who ever texts anybody? Does anybody else ever tell you that they're praying for you? Or do you only just always tell everybody that you're praying for them? (gasps) They don't text me, do they? Who cares? Who cares? We have been brought near to Jesus by grace. This thing that can change our lives. This thing that can change us from something who should be living on the street and now walks the palaces. From rags to riches. From mouthy to subdued. God changes us. And he's brought us near. We're called to redeem the time. And with being distracted by this world, We will redeem nothing. By grace, you have been saved. Not to stay where you are, not to be who you are, not to keep it real, but to be who God called you to be. To put off who you were, to put off who you want to be, and to put on who Jesus makes us. We are in the last days. We're in the last days. And Satan would love nothing more than to lull us to sleep, to tell you you're fine, but God has brought you near for a purpose. You are a child of God. You're a queen. You're a princess. You're a bride. And you're in white. You are not in a spotted wedding dress. And I just want to close with this. I heard a story one time. I don't even remember where I heard it. It was so long ago. And a bride was painting her nails red, which shows you how long ago it was, painting her nails red right before she got married. And she had a white wedding dress on, and she dropped a drop of red nail polish on her dress. And she was devastated. Right in the middle of her white dress, right before she walked down the aisle. And that's us. We've got red all over our dress. But here's the thing is that we have a Jesus who says to us, come now.
Let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, I'll be, make them white as snow. And I think she like safety pinned her dress together, so don't worry about it. I don't even know if it was real. We're okay. Well, I'll make it. Though your sins were as scarlet, he'll make you white as snow. Who in the world in this Christian culture has changed this definition of grace to say, though your sins are as scarlet, it's all good? No. Grace says, though your sins are as scarlet, I will make them white as snow. And I just feel warned or feel like I'm supposed to warn us to be careful that we have biblical opinions and not opinions of the biblical. Search grace in God's word. Search the works that you're created to walk in. Search the Jesus who wants to bring you near. He loves you so much. And I missed you girls. And I miss coming up here telling you that he loves you because he does. Like nothing else. Like no one else. Perfectly, sufficiently, he's your friend. Sometimes I wonder if Abraham was called the friend of God because he was alone in the wilderness and he had nobody else. We try to be the friends of everybody else. Maybe God has you alone so that you can appreciate what it is to be brought near. Lord, we lift our hearts up to you. And we ask, God, that you would take them and make them yours. God, would you teach us of you? We can't wait until we are fully knowing who you are, even as we are fully known. Lord, would you come soon? Would you save our family who so desperately need you? Would you meet each one of these sweet women in their group times, God? Would you let your word go deep and make us like like Debbie was talking about, the well-watered garden, and yet still in the sun-scorched land, you still still left it there, but you made it well watered. So God, would you water our hearts where we are right now? And it's in your name we pray. Amen.